Welcome to Movie House Sports Psychology, the podcast where we look at your favorite movies and TV shows through the lens of mental health and sports psychology. I'm Dr. Jason Von Steetz, a licensed psychologist specializing in clinical and sports psychology. If you're interested in how psychological principles apply to your favorite fictional characters, this is the podcast for you. Let's get started. Okay, today we have another uh, great fun episode. Uh, I'm here uh, with my friend and colleague, Lydia Garcia, who is a associate clinical social worker. Uh, Lydia, the, uh, um, it's uh, great to have you. Have Thanks you so much for having me, Jason. I'm, I'm happy to be here and excited for this conversation we're going to have today. All right. Sounds good. And today we're going to talk about Cobra Kai season one. And uh, I'm really excited. This was a really great show. Uh, I saw it a while ago and I got to rewatch it. And um, yeah, growing up, I loved Karate Kid. Um, I, uh, yeah, I loved the music. I loved the fight scenes. I loved all the characters. Even the Cobra Kai guys, I thought were, they, you could tell that they were cool, even though they're the well, bad Well, they weren't guys. cool. They were badass. They were badass. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they were. That's true. That's true. Thank you. Uh, and, you know, um, yeah, even years later, I still thought those uh, skeleton costumes that they wore were badass. <laughs> <laughs> and I always wanted to dress up like that. Uh, um, no, I never did, but I always wanted to, to dress up like that for Halloween. There's still time. Halloween's That's true. around the corner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe uh, maybe uh, me and, and maybe you and a bunch of therapists can dress up like like skeletons and uh, maybe get into a karate fight. I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I was really excited to watch this because I loved it growing up. Um, and and these are really cool characters. So seeing where they are now was was a ton of fun. But um, do you have any history with Karate Kid or, or what brought you, what got you interested in this show? You know, um, Karate Kid wasn't a movie that I watched as a kid. I think it, it came out a little before I was born. <laughs> but wow. of course, I knew about the Karate Kid. Um, and I know that, and I started watching Cobra Kai during the pandemic. It was one of those very bingeable shows uh, to watch during the pandemic, and I remember when it was when it was out and it was really hot. All the movies were were then on like TBS and stations like that where you watch like old movies. So um, prior to watching Cobra Kai, I don't think that I had sat through a, like a movie of mm -hmm. Karate Kid from start to finish. Mm. Um, of course, then I went back and watched you know, the important ones, <laughs> the first three, not necessarily the Jaden Smith one, but you know, well, I digress, whatever. <laughs> sure. Sure. So, um, I went back and watched uh, Karate Kid and had a really great time with it. And, and then it, it gives you a better understanding of what's going on in the show. Um, more empathy for the characters, more just context for what and why is uh, certain scenes and yeah. certain themes are coming up. And it was just a really enjoyable show. Some of it's kind of cringy. And I remember the first mm. time watching it and and being like, this is terrible. Um, this show is kind of cheesy and uh, but you can't stop watching. Parts of it are kind of like a train wreck. 
especially sure. as the seasons go on. But it's something that is done that way on purpose, which ends up making it completely brilliant. So uh, watching it the second time, I appreciated it even more than the first time. Um, and definitely watching it with kind of a, a psychology brain and a social work brain um, changed my perception of of the show and changed my viewing experience. So it was really exciting, really enjoyable to watch. Yeah, that's, that's great to hear. And, and going back to the the um, uh, non-Mr. Miyagi uh, Karate Kid movie, as much as I like uh, Jackie Chan, I, <laughs> with without uh, Mr. Miyagi, uh, and maybe he does play Mr. Miyagi in that, maybe it's some alternate universe, but uh, I just, I just I never got it. I, I think I did see that one, mm. um, but I don't remember enjoying it okay. as, as much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I gotta have Pat Morita, and even in this in this show where um, uh, Pat Morita is not he's you know he's not around anymore to be in it, the presence of Mr. Miyagi is still often felt, and um, his teachings are still an important part of. Um, uh, Daniel LaRusso's life and and the, the and just the the show in general, I, I think. Um, so I guess it'll be interesting to to get more into that in just a little bit. Uh, but before that, uh, I always like to read a quick description of the the movie of the show from IMDb, and then here is the one sentence description that IMDb has left for us. Decades after their 1984 All Valley Karate Tournament bout. A middle-aged Daniel LaRusso and Johnny Lawrence find themselves martial arts rivals again. So that sums it up. Decades later, they had one big fight or one big tournament, and then other stuff also happened, of course. But decades it feels like after, because there's so much more than just a yeah. rivalries reignited. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. So there's so much more, so much more than that. Uh, and and one of the things that we discussed a little bit before before recording um, was the the misconceptions that uh, that can happen, uh, and then this show helps you to you know see the characters more than what you might get when you just see mm-hmm. them in a ninety minute movie. Uh, but but tell me tell me more about uh, the misconceptions that you're thinking about. Yeah. So. You know, when you're watching The Karate Kid, you you see Daniel LaRusso as this this kid who's who's mom's moved in from Jersey and she wants a better life for him. And you're empathizing with this character for being the new kid in town. And, you know, you see him getting bullied by the Cobra Kai's. Um, You learn about um, some discrimination around uh, socioeconomics and you feel really bad for Daniel LaRusso. You want him to you want him to achieve, you want him to make it. Um, and at the start of the Cobra Kai series, um, we we start off where the first Karate Kid ended. So we see Johnny getting beat in that tournament with the, with the crane face kick thing. Um, what was it called? The, the, uh, I think it's called the crane, the crane kick, kick, but I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah the crane kick. And, and then we see the aftermath. So Johnny Lawrence in these in these opening scenes is not living his best life, maybe. You know, we see empty beer cans. We see that he's kind of struggling with work. 
Um, we see that his living situation might not be ideal. And he was the kid who was from Encino and going to the country club. So there's there's a difference there. And then we get a view of Daniel LaRusso, who's opened up this, this luxury vehicle uh, um. dealership selling Porsches, capitalizing on that kick. So capitalizing mm -hmm. on kicking the competition and all of his mm -hmm. successes in martial arts. So he's kind of moved up and that's what we wanted at the end of, of the Karate Kid. We wanted to see our hero like achieve and, and, and make it against mm -hmm. all the odds, right? Um, and, but then we, as the story continues, we get, we get more information about the what's and the why's of what was mm -hmm. going on there. So we we finally get a backstory on Johnny Lawrence. We learn that he that his life wasn't perfect. It wasn't that, you know, mommy and daddy provided him everything and he just had all of this privilege. He he had a stepdad who was actually pretty cruel to him and who didn't want him to be in karate and who was bullying him there at home. And I think there's a line some somewhere down in the episodes, maybe episode five or six, where he says, um, big houses, big houses have big problems. Mm -hmm. Um, and he also, he also says to Daniel while they're finally hanging out, drinking beers, um, he says to him, you know, I was getting, every time I'd go home, I was getting bullied. It right. wasn't a perfect life. Um, mm -hmm. and it was a completely, a completely different view than Daniel might've had of, of him prior to that conversation. Right. Yeah. And he does have a similar conversation with with maybe a couple people. Um, he forms a really close bond with Miguel and goes to and goes to dinner uh, at Miguel's uh, apartment with his family. And the mom asks him where he grew up. And he said uh, Encino. And the mom says, oh, there's some really nice houses there. And he says, um, just because there's nice houses doesn't mean nice things are going on inside. That's that's uh, the line. That's the yeah. thing. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So so he he really uh, um, uh, you get to to learn that just because somebody maybe drives a nice car, has blonde hair, uh, is part of the the badass cool group, that doesn't mean that. Um, that their life is um, what they want it to be. It doesn't mean that they're not suffering and, um, and uh, you know, that, that there's just um, things going wrong or, or problems that need to be addressed in their life. Yeah. And suffering can come in lots of different forms, right? One of my favorite um, quotes, Brene Brown quotes is um, you can't rank order suffering. Mm, so, right. There's, there's just lots of different types of suffering, and one might not seem as extreme as the other. That doesn't mean that the person experiencing it, it could be like, oh, sure, Johnny, like your life is so bad, but you go home to a mansion. Mm -hmm. Like, and I go home to to an apartment complex in Reseda that has no no water in the pool. Like there's, it's different levels of suffering. Mm -hmm. And we, we're still thinking of like teenage boys here, teenage kids who have, who are experiencing something and still growing up and still trying to figure out who they are in the world and who they want to be in the world. Right. Yeah. And there's a, a part later in the season where um, Johnny goes to visit his stepdad and he pays him back a lot of money. And, um, and the stepdad Sid, I think his name is Sid, mm -hmm. Sid. says something along the lines of, um, Oh, you always just wanted money from me or something like that. 
And then Johnny says, I didn't want money. It's just, that's the only thing you could give me. And you can see that that really hit Sid. Like there was truth in that. Um, so Johnny, he wanted a father figure. He wanted stability. He wanted guidance. And he found that in John Kreese, the Cobra Kai instructor. And in, in a lot of ways, it Johnny points out how much it helped him. But then there's these downsides where it was actually toxic in, in many ways. Yeah, it was very conditional. Um, and, you know, it was, it was win at all costs. Um, come home with that first place trophy or don't come home. That's kind of what he was getting from John Kreese. Um, and he was, John Kreese was proud of him as long as he was, as long as Johnny was doing everything that John needed him to do. Um, without those pieces, you know, it wasn't going to be a supportive relationship or a supported relationship, which kind of goes into the importance of coaching and the quality of coaches that, that, youth get, but also to an extent that some adults can get mm-hmm. um, in athletic pursuits or, or you know, other types of life goals. Right, right. Yeah, and Johnny, um, his relationship with uh, the two uh, father figures in his, in his life at growing up um, seemed very transactional, uh, where, um, you know, Sid would buy him things, uh, give him a place to live, um, uh, you know, just support him financially. And Johnny knows that Sid doesn't really care about him and he's just doing it to be with his mom or to pay a debt after his mom died because Sid feels like he needs to, I guess. And John Kreese, um, um, we don't get to see as much of that relationship in season one, but uh, we see John Kreese gives him support and encouragement as long as he's winning. And when he's not winning, he turns on him pretty quickly. Uh, so then Johnny's going to grow up thinking that, um, you know, he's, he's going to get a really skewed perspective on relationships. Absolutely. And someone does something for me because I do something for them or maybe because I'm badass, maybe that's the transaction that he's looking for. I'm badass. Play badass, which is, which is possibly why, you know, he's kind of stuck in the eighties, the way that he is drives the state, drives that Trans Am, like Mm -hmm. it's a Trans Am, right? Uh, I don't know. (laughs) Pretty sure it's Trans Am, not great at the cars. (laughs) But but it was badass no matter what. Listen to the same music. Mm-hmm. Um, dresses, you know, like he's still in the eighties. Um, the way that he, that he talks to people and the way that he like addresses the hot babes and like his, you know, his whole, his whole worldview is still centered in the eighties, possibly because of what you're saying. Like he's, he's understanding that his, he was only, he was at his peak and he was only good at that one time in his life when he was getting praise. And so he's, he's kind of stuck there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And when we meet Johnny in Karate Kid, Johnny's probably only 16 or 17. And in the show, we get to see a flashback when um, Johnny is, they don't really say, maybe he's 12, maybe he's 11 or something, maybe even 13. And he rides his bike past Cobra Kai. Here's, Here's something badass going on. 
And then he looks in just with amazement and like, wow, here's this, you know, this big, tall, strong John Kreese guy. He doesn't know his name, but just sees mm-hmm. him and then he sees a, a group of, of kids um, that he could, you know, be friends with. And all of that seems really, really amazing to him. He's, he's in awe of all of that. And I didn't realize it until later, but, oh, wow, that, that was only a couple years before the movie. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he was probably like 12, because I think yeah. it says, I think the flashback is like 1979. And then like, if we're mm-hmm. thinking he's a senior in 84, then yeah, yeah he's probably around 12. And mm-hmm. I want to give him some credit because even at, even at 12, and you're assuming like he's kind of giving off like the I'm a nerdy kid kind of vibe, I'm getting bullied. He had great taste in music. So he already got that going for him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so then he finds this next thing that's also helping to boost his confidence and his yeah. self-esteem. And and sports is great in that way, where it does it does provide the structure that he the structure and the love and the attention and the the routine that he wasn't getting at home. Right. Um you also kind of you see a conversation at the dinner table happening where um he comes home and he he tells his mom with excitement all about mm-hmm. this karate studio that he saw. She's encouraging him. She starts to tell Sid about it. Sid's just like, oh, you just want my money. Yeah. Um, and then there's a big argument at the dinner table between mom and Sid. And you see Johnny Lawrence putting on those headphones, listening yeah. to his badass music. And that's how he's kind of um, coping with with right. the arguments and things that are going on around around him in his home. Yeah, yeah. So in that argument, you hear Sid calls him a social reject. And the mom uh, says, well, well, maybe he'll get some friends if he joins karate. So the mom is acknowledging he doesn't have any friends. I think the mom even says he gets bullied every day, or or at least Johnny says that later on as an adult. Um, so he doesn't have friends, he gets bullied, he feels vulnerable and and helpless I'm, I'm, I'm guessing yeah and, and we're seeing he, the same thing once he opens Cobra Kai again when Johnny opens Cobra Kai in like 2018 or whatever year it's supposed to be um he's getting those same kids coming in and at first he rejects them and at mm-hmm. first he makes fun of all of them and he you know he's making fun of Eli calling him yeah. lip because he had um right. he had cleft, a cleft palate and had surgery and he's trying to explain that um, to to Johnny Lawrence and Johnny is just like, well, if you can't take it from me, how are you going to take it from the rest of the world? That's worse. And so he has this kind of skewed view of like what the world might be like. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's receiving all these kids who were him when he was little, and he mm-hmm. doesn't want to acknowledge that at first. Um, and then he kind of he kind of does, and he embraces all of these kids. And you do start to see the transformation in the same way that. He had a little bit of a transformation. Obviously, the big one right. is with Eli coming back with a mohawk mm-hmm. to uh, to become more badass and a giant right. eagle tattoo on his back. I don't know who's doing that to 15-year-olds, but <laughs> cool, whatever. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's a movie. <laughs> it's, it's make-believe. <laughs> um, so uh, you see like these these transformations in, in confidence coming back, just yeah. like you yeah. And before I say this next part, I, I want to make sure that everybody knows that this is not an anti-badass podcast. Uh, <laughs> I, I think being badass is great. Uh, it, and uh, it does, you can see in season one, it does help 
uh, a lot of the kids build confidence and make friends and stand up for themselves when they're being bullied. Um, and now from a CBT perspective, cognitive behavioral therapy perspective, uh, Johnny, when he was little, he felt uh, that the world was dangerous and that he was weak and vulnerable. And then he learned, if I can be badass and great at karate, then um, I won't be vulnerable. I won't be weak. I won't be picked on and I'll have friends. And then that's great. But then it seemed like he really over-relied on that. And uh, you can see that playing out uh, in the show where he's protecting himself by being badass and it's taking him a while to shed some of that so he can be more vulnerable with uh, Miguel, be more open to changing things versus being stuck in 80s badassness. Um, <laughs> but what, what do you think about... I think being badass is pretty badass. Right? <laughs> <laughs> also, you know, um, and I think you know, there's there can be multiple definitions possibly of badass or what that looks like. It kind of looks different for everyone. And and uh, I think the most badass thing would be to um, allow that to evolve throughout a life course, yeah, possibly. Yeah. Or, you know, an athlete at 12 years old isn't the same athlete at 15 year old at years mm -hmm. old. And, you know, we're not the same person at 15 as we are at 30. Um, but we can still hold on to a lot of the, the traits and qualities or lessons that we learn as youth um, yeah. into adulthood. It just kind of evolves. Yeah, and I think, yeah, and Johnny does go on that journey, and uh, at one point, he finds out that the All-Valley Tournament is still going on, and he wants to apply, and then he finds out that Cobra Kai has been banned for life, and uh, Miguel, he gets to learn from Miguel, because Miguel encourages him to not give up and to keep trying, and Johnny says something like, oh, you mean go beat them up? Yeah, good idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. says, hold on, hold on. Maybe, maybe talk to them. Maybe use your words. The Johnny, uh, okay, yeah, I guess I could do that. Yes, so. that works too. But like he, he might have, he might have rejected that harder. Like he might have rejected that earlier on in the season. I think, like if, yeah. but now he's be, he's beginning to build this bond and trust with Miguel, and he's also realizing that Miguel is looking up to him as a mentor. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you have that really cute scene where, um, sort of cute, but, you know, Johnny presents Miguel with his Cobra Kai gi mm, and it's, yeah. it's Johnny's actual Cobra Kai gi, which, uh, and it's kind of ruined in a way by, you know, you feel conflicted about it because as Johnny is presenting that gi to Miguel, you see Johnny's actual son, Robbie, yeah. around the corner who was coming back to kind of make amends it it felt yeah. like with Johnny. Um, so we haven't even started to talk about Robbie yet, right. but um, we see this nurturing happening between Johnny and Miguel and this tension because Johnny has a son who he isn't, who he hasn't had the opportunity to nurture in that same way. Right. Right. Johnny. Um, uh, and, and, and at some point in the season, Johnny explains that, he and I can't remember if he deliberately explains this or if we figure it out that he pretty much followed in the footsteps of his biological father who left his mom when Johnny was very young and then um, Johnny ended up getting a, a rich stepdad 
and nobody was really there to, except for John Kreese, nobody was really there to actually watch him and teach him things and help him solve problems and give him guidance, things like that. And in many ways, that's what happened to Robbie, where um, Johnny and Robbie's mom split up at an early age, and then Johnny just wasn't around. And Johnny and Robbie's mom uh, was looking for somebody to, to support them, but hasn't found it yet. And Robbie is getting into lots of hijinks, lots of trouble. Uh, he seems uh, to be a very, a very skilled con man, a very skilled um, yep, criminal, in a sense. He's super manipulative, like yeah. definitely, definitely honed his skill in, in survival of what he's had to do to take care of himself, it seems like. Yeah. Um, so there are themes in here of possibly inherited family trauma yeah. where um, – you know, Robbie is reliving a lot of the things that Johnny experienced. Um, Johnny's reliving patterns that he experienced. Um, even we even see a parallel between Robbie's mom and Johnny's mom to some extent, um, where like you kind of get the sense that Johnny's mom married this older, this older rich man, Sid, so that she could she could be provided for and take care of her son. And Robbie's mom is in the process of trying to find the same sort of, um, I don't want to, you know, don't jump on me for saying she sure, might sure. be a gold digger, but she might <laughs> be a gold digger. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, she's in the process of trying to find the same comforts for herself and her son. Yeah. Um, and probably out of necessity and, or, you know, people do what they have to do to survive. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the, the person who's being overlooked here is Robbie in the same way that Johnny was also being overlooked. Um, and he wasn't able to, to really, to really resolve any of those, those traumatic events. Yeah. Yeah. And now here we are and, and Johnny really wants to make things right, but he does not have the skills and doesn't even know where to get started. He, and I think he did what probably a lot of parents might do, where the first thing he does is try to discipline Robbie, maybe just yell at him on the phone when the guidance counselor or whoever, the principal or whoever calls calls him, and then Robbie's not having it. And then he goes to Robbie's apartment to try to uh, kind of discipline him and, and kind of be stern with him. And then Robbie just completely rejects that. And what could have been helpful is instead of going from zero parenting to all of a sudden trying to um, enforce rules and give discipline and all that stuff, is to seek some kind of professional help or to have some kind of ongoing discussion with Robbie's mom. Just just get things started instead of having a, a drunken fight at a restaurant while she's on a date. Uh but Robbie, nobody ever intervened for Robbie except for Mr. Miyagi that one time. So he does, he's never seen it happen. He's never heard of anybody helping a family. Um, in the 80s, I think people just drank and acted badass, and that was probably it. <laughs> and you just, you know, you just hold all your feelings in. And, and we, we talk about this a lot with like um, – well, I don't know if you talk about it a lot. I talk about it a lot um, where where uh, there's more and more discussion about men going to therapy yeah. and how it just it hasn't been as badass to go to therapy as mm. it really is. You know, 
it's a pretty badass thing to get vulnerable and deal with some of these conflicts and some of these issues, some of this trauma. Um, and I, you know, a common trope of, of men, especially um, ethnic men, is, you know, we take it all in, you take it all in, and then you just kind of push it down all the feelings, and then you die someday. And right. it's like, wow, great. Like, that seems like it solved a lot of problems. In the, you know, in the meantime, people are suffering. And yeah. they aren't really, they're not, they're not handling this stuff. It's not, uh, it hasn't historically been socially acceptable for men to go to therapy or men to deal with emotions and, and talk about it. Um, so Johnny definitely, definitely did not have that sort of role model who would tell him like, Hey, here's some skills that you can have, or Hey, it's okay to cry. Or, Hey, here's a place where you can go talk to somebody. It wasn't something that he was brought up with. Right. And, um, I want to ask you a question that I think Johnny would really want to know. Will babes think that going to therapy (laughs) is badass? I mean, I I think I could be possibly. I was at one point a babe, and I think it's kind of badass. <laughs> you know, I I think it's great because, uh, and I know that right now a lot of a lot of women, a lot of uh, badass babes, <laughs> um, they do want. They I, I hear a lot of a lot in my office that they would really like to be with somebody who's emotionally aware, who's who knows who they are, who knows what they, what they want out of their life, who, um, who can hold a conversation around and, and hold an emotional space. Um, because emotions aren't just for women. We all have them. Sure. Um, humans have emotion. Um, I can even tell when my dog has an emotion. So, yeah. you know, um, uh, I think being self-aware is definitely an attractive trait that, you know, is for everyone. It's not, and it's not just to attract a mate. It's also for yourself and, and to, to keep yourself uh, balanced and whole. Yeah. Okay. You heard it here, uh, guys. <laughs> uh, men are at least equal to dogs. And- <laughs> <laughs> at least. <laughs> My dog is really cute. So. Yeah. And if you can handle emotions and be self-aware and hold a conversation. That's a bonus. That's that, those go on the badass side. Uh, it does. Yeah. So I think people will Extra be happy. Points. Extra points yeah. have done your work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now I'm realizing we're about 30 minutes in and we have not even, or we've barely mentioned the karate kid himself Daniel son, Daniel Russo. Oh, Daniel son. Yeah. yeah. And for me, it was a really interesting experience watching this, especially for the first time, because I loved Karate Kid, loved Daniel son, loved Mr. Miyagi and, and what Daniel learned from him. And then watching this, I was solidly on the side of Johnny and Cobra Kai yeah. and not a huge fan of, of Daniel. And his personality actually pretty much stayed the same. He's hot-headed. He's impulsive. He gets in the mix whenever there's drama. He loves to just get in there and uh, maybe pull some karate moves or maybe just intervene and 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 um, and uh, get involved with whatever's going on. But in this situation, it just really felt like like the rich guy who has it all 
just really beating up on Johnny and poor people. And, yeah. and um, that's, a, that's a bit of a one-sided description. But, that, but that you was, do kind of feel like he almost forgot where he came from in yeah. a way. And he does kind of go back into it, but it's almost like a cosplay of it. Like he's not like fully in to like, uh, he's not fully down to actually uh, re-experience what he already experienced, what where he came from. Um, he's, in some ways you do have this feeling like he forgot where he was from. I really appreciate that, um, that the story is written this way because it could have, you know, the producers are, oh, what is what is Daniel LaRusso's real name? Ralph Macchio. Ralph Macchio. So Ralph Macchio is the, the producer of this series. And he could have made the choice to, to just make Daniel LaRusso's character just as heroic as it always was. But yeah. then the show wouldn't have been the success that it is. Um, I lost my train of thought. It's a well. I, I really like the way that you use the word cosplay because um, I was thinking, uh, I, I was kind of wondering, like, what feels off to me? Because in Karate Kid, I loved the relationship between Mr. Miyagi and and Daniel, and then seeing him as an adult. On one hand, yes, he is uh, living Mr. Miyagi's teachings in every area of his life for the most part. But then as I was thinking about it, it seems like he's doing that in more of a shallow cosplay-ish way where uh, it kind of comes off as more gimmicky and... um, I don't think it's necessarily a gimmick, but at the same time, he only f- seems to be using it for karate and for performance as a businessman. But then in his personal life, in his family life, he doesn't have the balance that he uh, says is so important. And he's not um, he's not teaching his son balance and teaching his son Mr. Miyagi's wisdom. If he is, he's only talking at it and not actually teaching it in a substantial way. And uh, Samantha, the daughter, she's more or less a successful student and doing well. But she also hit and runs a guy, Johnny. Yeah, she's also strayed from the path. And you kind of get that. um, You get, like, age appropriately. You get where she's she's a teenager. She's a teenage girl. She wants to be with the cool in crowd. Um, She's become that. She's become what she's become the the crowd the bully crowd that used right. to bully daniel so and you also see her friends rejecting and bullying one of her very old like right. close friends you know they're bullying her about her appearance about her weight about all of these things um and samantha isn't isn't standing up at the start to sort of intervene and I think that would have been one of Mr. Miyagi's teachings is like, if you're seeing some sort of, of oppression or injustice, like Mr. Miyagi would have taught Daniel how to, how to manage that and what to do around that. And um, Daniel's not really able to give that back to Samantha. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a great point to say that she's part of the, the, the bullying group. Cause in Karate Kid, there was usually one Cobra Kai guy 
who would say, all right, he's had enough or, you know, something like that. I'm not sure if it was always the same reason. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So there was usually someone doing something like that. Um, And then that's essentially Samantha. She just watches it happen and then says, that's not nice. And then doesn't do anything, stays friends with them, um, offers sympathy to her friend Aisha, but really that's it. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So she's, she's uh complicit she's yeah she's, absolutely absolutely yeah. she's totally complicit um but yeah their their family system is really interesting too um amanda the mom um mm. she seems to have a pretty good like a pretty good view she seems to be the the least traumatized of of, of the three main characters there right she seems to have a pretty good view of what's going on and even awareness of of their son antonio's kind mm-hmm. of um what would you call it sort of uh, he's kind of unbalanced he's very he's the most unbalanced in the family oh, yeah. for sure um i there's there's this really funny scene where or i thought it was funny where Daniel's trying to find a partner to to work out with in the dojo because now he's finally cleared the dojo. He's been inspired that Cobra Kai has opened and he's kind of jealous that it's that it's happening and that Johnny has students and stuff. So he really wants someone to work out with in the dojo and he's trying to get anyone. Samantha is like, eh, I have plans. I'm a teenage girl. Like I have nothing. I don't want anything to do with you, dad. Yeah. Um, Amanda, I guess, used to work out with him. And she was like, well, remember last time I worked out with you, we got that one. And she points over at, at Antonio and kind of in like, like, a, and, and you see him at his worst. Like he is not, it's not like a flattering image of Antonio. He's like playing yeah. video games, just kind of like flopped on the couch, just looking like he's never seen the outside world before. Um, very, and you know, he's not, he's not interested at all either in being part of this. And I'm not saying that mom had regrets about him or anything, but she's definitely seen that her kids are not, her kids are not um, in that balanced state that she might've, she might've expected, or, you know, maybe something that she even fell in love with Daniel for. Sure. Yeah. Jeez. I know. Uh, when, when I see the, the, the son, oh boy, he's. Uh, <laughs> like, more about him too in the later seasons, which is yeah. going to be very fun. But, mm-hmm. you know, a lot more comes out about him as it goes down the road. But he's he's not a chip off the old block. That's for sure. Right. He's he's very much um, he's very much a stereotypical a stereotype of a kid who's who just wants to be inside, just wants to play video games, just wants to kind of uh, be he's very privileged. And it's kind of like I just want all of the things handed to me and given to me versus having to work for them. So, yeah, yeah. You get that sense about him. Mm-hmm. It, it seems like Daniel either was really busy with work and just never gave him attention to begin with, or he gave up fairly early on because uh, the son will tell Daniel, you know, go get me a drink, or um, Daniel will take his gaming console away and the son will just say, Alexa, buy me another, you know, whatever. And- that was wild. I was like, oh my God, if like, if I did that when I was, I don't know, how old was he? Like 13? I would have got slapped. Like, <laughs> okay, I guess you can't do that anymore to kids, but yeah. I would have gotten in a lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so Daniel is definitely not 
spending the weekend having him do Mr. Miyagi's workouts or cleaning cars or anything like that. Daniel is off doing something else. Uh, Yeah. So Daniel gets really excited when Robbie shows up and Robbie. So Robbie ends up getting a job there at LaRusso Auto Group to spite his father, to spite Johnny Lawrence. Um, And he wants to do it. He wants his dad to find out that he's working there so that his dad will get upset feel hurt, feel, feel the same kind of pain that Rob in rejection that Robbie has been feeling. Um, but Daniel ends up getting really excited and, and to have a partner in, in Robbie, somebody who he can train up. Um, so he's, he's, and he's doing all the, all the same Miyagi things, right? The paint, the fence and the, the wax on wax off and doing all of the training like that, um, agreeing to teach Robbie, uh, karate and yeah. he's just eating it up yeah yeah in a lot of ways uh johnny and daniel were both sort of looking for um someone to be um sort of like a surrogate son and then robbie and miguel were we're both looking for surrogate fathers and you get to see the importance of mentorship and guidance and things like that by watching their relationship. Yeah, you do. Um, And, and they had their own mentorship and guidance that we talked about. We kind of briefly talked about earlier. Um, And they're, they're using those same lessons that they learned from both Chris and Miyagi. Um, I kind of mentioned before we before we started recording, just this idea that I had of you see Johnny losing um, the tournament back in '84, and and then you see like present day and how his life is kind of like in I don't want to say in shambles, but his mm-hmm. life isn't isn't where he wanted it to be or where he was expected to be, um, and the opposite with Daniel Larusso, you see him exactly where we want him to be. Um, yeah. But I do feel like were the coaches switched or were Crease more Miyagi-like, where it was a more supportive, um, almost unconditional love type of relationship, I don't think that that defeat that Johnny suffered would have, would have put him down so low. I think that he would have been able to continue to progress in his life. I think that he, that he would have understood that failure is, is not a permanent state. And I think that he would have he would have then had a different tra- trajectory into his future. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a great point because one of um, the really uh, important parts of Crease's training was to win, to show no mercy, to be badass, and that's where Johnny was getting his self worth from. That's where uh, you know um, Crease was showing him love because he was able to do those things and then if you're a winner if you're worthy of love and self-worth because you're badass and a winner then what happens when you lose you're no longer worthy of love and support and you're no longer you no longer have self-worth so if he did have a more um, supportive environment then that could have been really different for him after a loss mm-hmm. yeah and i think that we we see a little bit of that of like Johnny's wheels turning and, and kind of changing when we do finally get to the All Valley and we see Cobra Kai going far in and then we see 
Miguel in the final against Robbie. And Johnny almost like doesn't know who to cheer for. He almost doesn't know, you know, he's definitely not going to say sweep the leg and like hurt this kid. Right. Um, Because that's his son that his that his athletes fighting against. Um, But you see, like he's he want he's wanting to offer the, the the support and encouragement to Miguel, but he doesn't want to do it in front of Robbie yeah. and it's it's just kind of a, a, a conflict there that that he is that he's struggling to resolve yeah yeah that's such a tricky situation and then I think from sports my uh my my thought process is if you're the coach you coach your athlete yeah. and then later on you talk to your son or you exclude yourself and let somebody else coach. But Johnny is in this situation where um, it's just so unstable and there's so many hard feelings that uh, sportsmanship kind of goes out the window and it's just uh, just a big mess. Um, and one of the things I, I noticed and uh, I was thinking about, um, I it seems like maybe they did this on purpose or maybe – it was just kind of the natural result of storytelling, but it seemed like part of what they were saying is that Johnny's Cobra Kai teachings were really helpful up to a point. And then there was some kind of toxicity to it that led to some bad sportsmanship and, and fighting out of anger uh, when we see Miguel and Hawk or Eli performing and even Aisha, she mm-hmm. had some bad sportsmanship in, in that tournament too. And and Miguel, all three of them were, you know, good students, well, you know, well behaved and, and that kind of thing. And then they ended up um, in this sort of rebellious, angry place. Yeah. And then Robbie was uh, a con man, not going to school, all that stuff. And then he spent a day or two at the lake with uh, with Daniel and he learned Mr. Miyagi's teachings and all that stuff. And then he ends up. Um, moving on from his life of crime and uh, <laughs> having great sportsmanship and overcoming uh, adversity and, and all that stuff. Um, so then I, I think part of what they're saying is that the teachings can play a really important role. And I was talking to my wife about this and then she kind of, she thought, Oh, so in karate kid, were they saying that, uh, that Daniel was, a bad kid and then Mr. Miyagi kind of straightened him out and then Johnny was a good kid and then Crease kind of led him onto a bad path. Well, and Daniel I- was from New Jersey. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, nothing wrong with Jersey. Um, yeah. But um, I think that's interesting because yeah. when you do get the backstory of Johnny, yeah, you get the sense that he was a straight and like a straight and narrow path kind of kid who was, you know, uh, repressed in a lot of ways and and possibly feeling um, like he couldn't express who he actually is or who he was. Um, and Daniel, he was a fighter the whole time. So possibly we, you know, we described Daniel from the start as kind of a hothead and, you know, a little bit, you know, maybe, maybe I think in the beginning of the story, they were trying to, you know, beginning of Karate Kid, they were trying to say this was a kid from the streets kind of thing um, Mm -hmm. because he came from Newark and because, you know, he, he wasn't 
as affluent as everyone else. Um, he was, he was, he had a single mom, like all of these, all of these risk factors um, or that we identify as risk factors for a kid. Um, so in a lot of ways, yeah, he was Robbie. Right. Right. Yeah. And um, we know that, uh, that Daniel was impulsive and would put himself in the middle of things. And uh, Johnny was minding his own business, rolling a joint in the bathroom. <laughs> oh, I love, I love Johnny's retelling when he's talking to Miguel about, about his relationship with Daniel. And he's like, I was minding my own business on the beach. And like, you see the, the flashbacks from the movie of like, you were not minding your own business, bro. And then he, he stole my boom box or like whatever he said. And then he starts flirting with my girl, like all this stuff. And it's just like, like the perspectives. And, and that's true when we, when we work with kids and we work with conflict is like, there's two sides to every story and nobody really knows what the truth is. At the end of the day, you just kind of have to like agree to disagree sometimes. <laughs> but Johnny's retelling of things was excellent. I love that. <laughs> I think it is important to remember they were 16, 17 years old and emotions were running high. And, Hormones, like yeah. they, they don't, they have no, like, frontal lobe development like everything they're just they're not there yet <laughs> they're not there yet to reason or you know <laughs> That's great. exactly and uh one person we haven't talked about is eli or mm-hmm. hawk what was your impression of him hawk this poor kid right like in this in the beginning like you do feel really bad for him you he's a kid who's um very meek um in the beginning he you i thought for a while, like for the first five minutes or something, he's in a scene. It's not five minutes, but there's a scene where he's he's sitting there and he's at the table, but he doesn't speak. His friend yeah. speaks for him. Um, what is his friend's name? Uh, uh, Dimitri? Dimitri. Dimitri. There we go. So Dimitri's kind of speaking for yeah. Hawk. Um, Hawk is, he's kind of like, you know, he's hunched over. He's kind of looking side to side. He He's afraid of who is looking at him or judging him because there are some bullies there at the school who's made fun of the fact that he had a cleft palate and has a big, has a scar on his lip, all this kind of stuff. Um, so his transition, like he needed, he, for him, he needed somebody like Johnny mm. to, to kind of pull him out of that and say, you know, yeah, this is, this is happening. Yes, this is real. Um, you are being bullied. You do have a scar. Like these are, these are things that are not um, some of these things you can change and some of these things you can't change. And he kind of tells him you have to, you have to create something else for people to look at. And he interprets the Hawk interprets Eli Mm -hmm. interprets this as becoming Hawk. So Mm -hmm. he, he gets a Mohawk. He, um, he dies it blue he yeah. has his like I love the the eagle scream every time that yeah. like you know the, the sound effect that happens it's just excellent um he gets that giant tattoo um and he just changes changes his whole persona he's like enough's enough I'm not gonna be messed with anymore like like that's it um he takes it to to an extreme though I yeah think. yeah and uh Hawk turns into such an iconic character in the show <laughs> watching it again. It was it was funny to me to see that Hawk doesn't really appear until maybe episode seven or eight, and the rest of the time it's Eli. Mm-hmm. Oh, whoa, 
wow, he, yeah. he shows up really late. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think in a, in a lot of ways, um, the Hawk persona is really helpful. It really helps him to get out of his shell. It helps him to do all the things that he's wanted to do. But then it just, it goes too far mm -hmm. and he forgets about his old friend Demetrius and he, um, uh, he sort of loses himself, but in future seasons, I, he does. We'll have to talk about that later. But he yeah. does sort of shed the persona more and it or integrate actually mm -hmm. integrate it more, and he gets to be more confident as Eli. Yeah, and you know something that I really like to use with athletes is kind of that: how are we going to get our game face on? Kind of right. strategy. How are we going to create your race day persona or your competitive persona? And what would that person look like? Um, what would that person speak like? What would that person walk like? Like we're embodying this entire um, like image of what an athlete, how an athlete wants to show up on, on race day or for competition. And that is what Eli is doing right here. Of course, like when we're doing it in the therapy room, it's kind of, it's a mindset thing where we're trying to shift. We're not trying to leave you in that persona for you know, your entire identity, but we're seeing, um, we're seeing kind of like that sports psychology strategy used here, um, for Eli's Hawk persona. Right. That's true. Yeah. And one of the things that I, I like to do here in this podcast is to just kind of put on your therapist hat or sports psychologist hat, and then think about how you would work with certain um, characters or maybe mm -hmm. schools or, or people in the in the the show uh, so that that would be a great um, yeah. approach to take with somebody like Hawk uh, is there anything else that you think you would want to do for anybody in the show whether it's as a social worker or as a sports psychology consultant yeah I mean I think like I think teaching teaching these athletes how to differentiate those identities like you know, especially when it comes to failure, yeah. um, talking about like Johnny failure, he, he felt like failure was permanent, was a permanent state. Mm -hmm. Um, cause he wasn't getting the love anymore once he failed reminding athletes that no failure is part of sport. Um, failure is part of the thing. Like, I don't know if you're watching world athletics right now, um, track championships, but, um, Jacob Ingebrigtsen just had a huge upset in the 1500 meters and, you're watching this person as he's in the last like probably 25 to 50 meters and you're seeing his face is just mm. one of fear and defeat. And I was, and he walks off the track in this way that like, as if he, his entire identity just crumbled. Um, and I would worry about an athlete like that, whose, whose identity is tied up so tightly with, with performance and success. Um, so something that I would want to teach these athletes, um, in Cobra Kai is that they are not defined by one match, um, one event, you know, there's, there's a lot more going on here and there's a lot more aspects to being a person that, you know, such a small percentage of these athletes are ever going to go on to be professional that right. we have to learn how to tie those lessons from, from the karate dojo back into a workplace or into school or into, into real life situations. Yeah. Yeah. Great point. Um, and I will hear from 
um, athletes or professionals who work with athletes that the sports psychology skills that they learn really pay off in life and and they use them in in life way more than they ever do in sport so this kind of um, um, you know, skill building can be really really important really helpful definitely is there anything that you see in any of the families that you would want to um, work on as a social worker yeah, I think the access is something that I would want to work on. I'm glad that, I mean, we're seeing a show where we, you know, money is not real. Um, time is not real. Nothing is real. Um, but I think about a family like Miguel's family. Um, you know, we see this single mom who's supporting her son and her mother. Um, so we have three generations in a home. Um, I think about how is mom paying for this? How can she afford to send her kid to Cobra Kai for private lessons. These things are expensive. Um, And a lot of times our our public schools are really lacking in in providing resources back to to student athletes. Um, But we also see how important that that, um, participation in sport, the the friendships, the the confidence boosting, the confidence building, just the, the routine, the skill, you see Miguel have this transformation where now he's he has he's on a routine. You watch him doing his push-ups in his room and like feeling really good about himself. And and um, not all kids, unfortunately, have access to these things. So from a social work lens, um, I think a lot about ways of providing that or ways of 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 creating opportunities for students for young people. To, to access these types of skills in a low cost way or you know even better as, as, a, as an, a resource that's included within that school environment. Yeah, absolutely. We have too like a kid like Antonio who's got all the resources in the world it seems like and he just wants to order video games on his Alexa. So right. <laughs> you know it's yeah. um, it's kind of a, a, a skewed view and of course maybe it's not for everyone. Right. Yeah. And when I look at uh, the two different um, training styles, I think in, in season one, we don't really see Miyagi-Do yet. I think it's, I, I can't remember if he even uses that, that word yet in, in season one, um, but we get so to he see. He calls it Miyagi-Do, I think at the end, and you're like, wow, this place is gorgeous. I want to live here. <laughs> when I get a Miyagi-Do? <laughs> yeah. 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 So we see uh, Miguel and Hawk and Aisha uh, fight uh, from the uh, standpoint of of Cobra Kai and Cobra Kai's teachings. And it does get them far. They do perform well. Um, And we see Robbie uh, fight from the um, Miyagi-Do viewpoint. And uh, he does well, too. Uh, When I work with athletes, I often go over uh, emotionally driven behavior versus value driven behavior. Mm-hmm. And you can see that um, uh, neither, um, well, I'll have to think about that. But my, my thought right now is that neither school really has both. Um, r- Mr. Miyagi taught balance, so he should be able to balance emotions and values. But we see in Daniel's personal life, 
he's not balanced. He's has a lot of emotion, but he does, he does teach Robbie um, balance and value driven behavior in, in a way. So then Robbie is performing well. Oh man. My temptation is to say that, that Robbie is out of balance, but at least in the tournament, he is doing really well and fighting from um, a place of value. So I think I kind of need to take that back. He does a really good job of like emotionally regulating as well. Cause there's yeah. a lot of areas there in that tournament, especially where he could just, he could have gotten really off the rails. You know I mean? Hawk goes and kicks him in the back and dislocates his shoulder. Like, yeah. He could have turned around and made something of that or, you know, he could have gone to the dark side, so to speak, you know, sure. but he, he doesn't. He like he keeps that all, you know, pretty well contained, um, mm -hmm. whereas Cobra Kai isn't teaching that emotional regulation in the same way. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think my I think the reason why I don't feel um or I feel compelled to really challenge that it's because it, I I don't think a day or two at the lake can actually get someone there. It's <laughs> no. Yeah. yeah Especially with sure. history of just having a lot of trauma and uh, needing to fend for himself and, um, and yeah and, and and having a lot of anger and resentment towards his father. I I don't think someone could actually get there. But in the show, he, he does get there by the turn by the end of the tournament. Well, we see that a little bit right in our own therapy practices every yeah. once in a while, where families and parents or or clients want a quick fix and they think, oh, mm -hmm. we can we can knock this out with like a month of therapy, right, once right. a week. And you're like, no, like it took you 25 years to even exactly. step into a therapy office. Like it's not going to be done in one session. It's not going to be resolved with like talking about it once, you know. Yeah. Um, so. Of course, it's a show, and so we want to believe that, like, yeah, a day at the lake, just you know, this kid finally got out of got out <laughs> of like, the urban jungle and went over to like you know this beautiful, pristine like nature space, and and nature is so healing and all of that. But of course, it's yeah, yeah, balance of reality the versus Instagram filters or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then the, the Cobra Kai performance is more uh, believable. They're doing well, but they are emotionally dysregulated. They're fighting from a place of anger. And a lot of times fighters or athletes will think, oh, I just need to get angry. I need to wake up. I need to, to get punched in the face and get angry. And then I'll start going. Um, I don't think that actually works out or at least i don't think that is the the best way to do it uh mike tyson would say that uh, a happy fighter is a dangerous fighter and oftentimes strong emotions whether it's anger or excitement can lead to impulsivity it can cloud someone's judgment um and that doesn't mean you have to be completely zen like like robbie was in the tournament but being able to breathe and and let your emotions be there, but stay focused on the task is going to be really helpful. And um, the Cobra Kai kids were really only taught aggression. And that was really helpful for them at the beginning. But then when they're in a high pressure situation and the other person is just as good as them, then they really need to be able to tolerate their frustration and, um, 
and stay focused and fight within the rules because that's what they signed up to do. Um, so that's when, um, you know, maybe some of Miyagi's teachings or just remembering to take a breath, you know, breathe, pause, just remembering something really simple like that, pause, mm-hmm. breathe, and then respond could be really helpful for Miguel, Aisha, and Hawk and, and the rest of the Cobra Kai kids. Coming from a place of, of joy in a, in a lot of ways, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like um, as you were speaking, it was just making me think of Shakari Richardson and, you know, the 100-meter sprinter. Um, she was left off of – she didn't get to go to the Olympics because she, I think she had, like, a CBD edible or something. Some, she failed a drug test. Um, yeah. It was related to weed or something. And she was really, really angry for like immediately after that, she gave a lot of really angry press conferences and, you know, a lot of really angry statements on on Twitter and stuff like that, all social media. Um, And she was running very pissed off. She was running with just pure anger and frustration and she wasn't doing well. Um, And now you see her back um, and her big thing when she came back was I'm not back, I'm better. And you can see when she's running, I got to watch her at UCLA a couple months ago at the Grand Prix. Um, and then I've been, I've been watching, you know, um, uh, USATF track nationals and then down to, to right now she's, she's racing in the 200 meters um, and the 100 meters. So you got her, her gold in the hundred meters at worlds and she's contesting yeah. the 200s now, but she's, she is running better. She, she had this iconic moment where she shed one of her, one of her wigs and she threw it off to the side. It was, it was the, the, the orange yeah. one. If you remember, she raced with that and made the, made the yeah. Olympic team. And she shed that persona for the one that she has right now, which is a much more joyful runner. You see her running with pride and with like, um, with an enthusiasm that isn't anger. Mm-hmm. And I think that confidence kind of like ascending to that, <laughs> to that level of, of like uh, confidence and athletic ability is something that those Cobra Kai athletes are missing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, that kind of reminded me of when I used to watch uh, a show called The Ultimate Fighter or just watch MMA in general. And you could always kind of tell when when a fighter was um, really um, maybe – maybe angry or maybe felt like he had something to prove that was usually kind of a strike against him. And then when there were, were there fighters who were just excited and loved what they were doing, then it usually seemed like uh, that, like, you know, nine times out of 10, it's going to be that guy who wins or that, that, uh, that fighter. Uh, so that, that mindset of just enjoying what you're doing, working hard, doing it because you're passionate about it is really helpful for performance and just for life and just enjoying yeah. what you're doing. Bringing yourself back into the present moment as a mindful athlete, right? Um, yeah. Because if you're thinking about the past or you're thinking too far into the future, you're not here. You're not in that moment of that fight or of that race or, or whatever it is. Um you, you know, I know you you have a background in sports, like actually doing sports and and me too. And any time that I'm racing and I feel myself off balance of when I am not connecting to the road or I'm not connecting to the track, it's a it's a big difference. It's um, being mindful and putting yourself back into that present state um, is is kind of essential, an essential tool for an athlete to learn how to do. 
Yeah, exactly. And then the last thing I'll say about uh, treatment or what I would do as a therapist, just recommend family therapy for pretty much everybody. Um, even Absolutely, Miguel. family therapy for all. <laughs> Miguel seems to get along really well with his family, but I'm sure. Let's just. I'm sure it would be helpful for them. They have some old trauma with Miguel's dad. Yeah, uh, they, they allude to that, and then it gets you know in future seasons we'll, mm-hmm. we'll explore that a little bit more. But yeah, he's definitely got some stuff with dad. Yeah, exactly. The LaRusso family can use family therapy. Johnny and his family unit could could use it. Uh, we can get Sid in there too somewhere. He can get help. Every just everybody can just go to family. Probably therapy. also Sid's nurse. She's got oh. she's got a lot of anger towards Sid as well. She just tolerates him at this point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She's great though. <laughs> <laughs> they did have a, a funny, uh, interesting dynamic. They're probably only in the show for about three minutes, five minutes, something At like that. At most, probably, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but they still stand out. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, well, this was a, a lot of fun. Um, so I, I can't wait to talk about season two and then the, the other seasons. And um, uh, where can people find out about you or get in contact with you? Well, I'm a therapist at the Institute for Girls Development and Flourish Wellness. Um, so you can find me at the Institute for Girls Development.com. Um, you can also follow me on Instagram at Liddy, L I D D I E dot G. All right, awesome. And I'll put that in the show notes. And uh, I can't wait to do this again. Thank you so much, Jason. It was a pleasure. All right, thank you. This has been Movie House Sports Psychology. Find me on Instagram or Twitter using my handle at CBT Sports Psych. And tell me what you think. Thanks for listening.